This morning we're going to consider growing in grace. Our passage is 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 5 through to 7. Two weeks ago we started looking at the second epistle of the Apostle Peter and amongst other things we saw that there are no super Christians in that if you have a genuine faith in the Lord Jesus Christ you have been allotted like precious faith as the Apostle Peter and that faith connects with the righteousness of your God and Saviour Jesus Christ which is given to you. It is a righteousness with which all Christians are covered. Likewise, all who are yoked to Jesus have been purchased with the same precious blood. Also, we saw that the grace of God and his peace are multiplied through knowledge of God and his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Indeed, God has bestowed upon Christians everything that they need in order to become increasingly Christ-like. Following on from that, we shall now consider an exhortation from Peter to growing grace, looking at 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5, it is written, And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge. Those words, and beside this, or for this reason, take us back to verse 4, which is about being partakers of the divine nature. And that must surely be the heart's desire and prayer of every Christian. For example, when I see the description of love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through to 8, where it is written, charity or love, suffereth long and is kind, what I see is a description of Jesus. Similarly, when I see the list of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, with spiritual fruits such as love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, and so on, again I see Jesus. I don't know about you, but I want to show forth that kind of love. I want to bring forth that kind of fruit. In other words, I want to be more like Jesus. And I trust that all of you who are clothed in Christ want to be more like him as well. As partakers of the divine nature, you have been raised up to newness of life in Christ you are a new creature in Christ and adopted as a child of God. To you, Peter says, give all diligence to add to your faith. And what comes next in verses 5 through to 7 is yet another list. A list of seven Christian virtues or standards. Note that you are to add one to another. For example... Add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. However, you needn't necessarily think of the adding as meaning that you must start by adding virtue and last of all, add charity 
where charity means love. That's hardly the case when you consider that God is love and his love is shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Ghost who is given to you when you became a Christian. The adding ties all seven virtues together, which means that you can't have one without the other six, and they all spring from the same saving faith in Jesus that God has graciously given you. We shall spend our time considering those seven virtues. Only then shall we be in a position to give all diligence to add them to our God-given faith. Let's have a look again at verses 5 and we'll read through to the end of verse 7. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge temperance and to temperance patience and to patience godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. We are to give diligence to add to our faith virtue. The Greek word arete that has been translated virtue is found only five times in the New Testament, four of which are in Peter's epistles. It seems to have a range of meanings, such as moral excellence and manliness. However, if we simply stick with Peter's usage of the word arete, it's helpful to note that in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, it is translated praises. And that word would fit rather nicely in verse 3 of 2 Peter chapter 1 where it is written, According as his divine power have given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that have called us to glory and virtue. Christians have been called by God by means of his glory and virtue, or glory and praise through the proclamation of the gospel of Christ, where the glory of God reaches into hearts, whereas praise reaches ears through the faithful witness of people who already know the Lord Jesus Christ. With that in mind, coming back to verse 5, by adding virtue to your faith, you are to praise God. I suspect that many Christians have a rather fluffy and incomplete understanding of what praise actually is. To help you to understand what praise is, consider this. The Lord Jesus Christ says of himself, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Also, Jesus says to Christians, you are the light of the world. Therefore, as a Christian, you are a light bearer for Jesus. As such, you are not to hide your light under a bushel. You are to be conspicuous, 
You are to be clearly visible. You are to praise God before an unbelieving world as you reach ears with the word of truth. You are to spread your light upon others in what you say and pray that they will be affected by your testimony of God's grace, his truth and his love. That's praise. Secondly, you are to give diligence to add knowledge to virtue or praise. We've already looked at knowledge back in verse 3, which speaks of the necessity of having knowledge of the only true God and not the idols of men's sinful imaginations. There is nothing more important than knowing God as your heavenly Father and knowing his dear Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, as your Saviour from sin. However, the knowledge of verse 5 comes from a different Greek word and it is a more general knowledge. It is a knowledge of God's will and that doesn't fall from the sky or come to you in your dreams, not usually anyway. It comes through diligent and prayerful study of the scriptures. Also, we can make the mistake of imagining ourselves to be so spiritual that we have no need of knowledge. Or maybe we have very foolish, we very foolishly imagine that we know it all. And that is a big mistake. When I was a missionary in London, a colleague of mine told me that he had read the Bible X number of times and he no longer felt the need to read it. That was quite a statement from someone who was wholly employed in Christian ministry, evangelistic ministry. More generally, whether you are in Christian ministry or not, I trust that you can see that without Bible knowledge of Christian doctrine and of God's will concerning how you are to live the rest of your time as a Christian in the world, you cannot praise God in any meaningful way. Without knowledge, far from shining forth God's praise, you will simply dishonour him as you set yourself up as a target for ridicule and scorn. Thirdly, to knowledge you are to add temperance or self-control. Self-control goes way beyond saying no to that box of chocolates. Rather, it is about keeping all your desires and passions under control, whether they are sinful ones or not. With regard to sinful passions, Peter is very clear about that in his first epistle, in chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, where he says, For as much then as Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin, that ye no longer should live the rest of your time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. That's clear enough, and it makes perfect sense. If you are a new creature in Christ, you are to draw on the grace of God to do his will and not to fulfill the lusts of the sinful flesh. 
That requires a lot of self-control and it's not something that you can achieve in your own strength, that's for sure. It happens as God works in you to do his will. Therefore, self-control happens with and because of God's control within you. Controlling your temper, esteeming others better than yourself, even when you find them somewhat irritating, encouraging them instead of discouraging them, being a team player instead of hogging the ball as you seek glory for yourself, knowing when to speak and when to be silent. Be careful not to use self-control as an excuse to be a coward by not calling out error or by not calling on others to repent and to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. For me, an inducement to exercise self-control is to remember that God is watching over me. That produces in me a healthy fear mixed with an earnest desire to do that which is pleasing in his sight and not according to the lust of the flesh. And that takes us back to prayerfully studying the scriptures that I might know his will. Have you noticed how it keeps coming back to knowing your Bible? Fourthly, we have patience, which is not to be confused with the long-suffering of God. God does indeed suffer very long with regard to his rebellious creatures. As for you, when you exercise patience and you even rejoice when tribulations come your way as a result of your faith in Jesus, that is evidence that the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. It's not just persecution that is a test of patience, is it? There are those little things in life that can really test your patience. Amy Carmichael had some very helpful words of advice. She was a missionary in India and she said, The best training is to learn to accept everything as it comes, as from him whom our soul loves. The tests are always unexpected things, not great things that can be written up, but the common little rubs of life, silly little nothings, things you are ashamed of minding. Yet they can knock a strong man over and lay him very low. As a Christian, you have every reason to endure with patience in the knowledge that your great God and Saviour Jesus Christ is coming again. And when he does, he will take you to be with himself forevermore. And if you die before that great day comes, you will enter into his presence and you will behold his glory. Patience is evidence that the word of God has been sown into a heart that brings forth good fruit. As Jesus said in Luke chapter 8 and verse 15, But that on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. I must admit that bringing forth more patience 
figures highly on my prayer list. Fifthly, to patience you are to give diligence to add godliness. Spurgeon pointed out that godliness is something more than religion. He said, make God's glory your object in life. Live in his sight. Dwell close to him. Seek for fellowship with him. And thou hast godliness. Though being godly certainly does not mean attaining sinless perfection in this lifetime or keeping yourself as far away as possible from ungodly unbelievers, it does nevertheless mean keeping a healthy distance from the wicked ways of this Christ-hating and Christ-rejecting world and instead delighting in the word of God. In sixth place, you are to add brotherly kindness. Brotherly kindness figures again and again in the New Testament. A sure sign that you either know or do not know God, who laid upon his son the iniquity of all the brethren, and a sure sign of whether or not you really know Jesus, who laid down his life for all the church, is your conduct towards other Christians. If you really do have the love of God, then you not only love God, but also you love the begotten of God. In other words, the only begotten Son of God and all who have been begotten unto a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus, that is, all born-again Christians. That brotherly affection has to be more than a few soothing words or a nice warm Christian smile. It is a kindness that is manifest in practical ways and not for religious reasons. Rather, it comes from a heart in which the love of God has been poured out. That is practical Christianity, so much so that when Jesus returns in judgment, he will say to his sheep, Whatever you have done for the least of these, my brethren, you have done for me. Last but not least is love, which is much broader than the brotherly kindness that you are to have towards fellow believers. We all have a duty to love God with our entire being and to love our neighbour as ourselves, and we have all failed miserably to do so. However, the Lord Jesus Christ became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And Christians are people who have received his perfect obedience for themselves. Also, they believe that Jesus laid down his life because of their disobedience, for the wages of sin is death. That said, born-again Christians will inevitably love the world enough to earnestly seek doors of utterance to be opened to them by God so that they can reach people, including their enemies, with the gospel of Christ and with the way of salvation. In conclusion, you may recall 
from when we were looking at the Apostle Paul's epistle to the Philippians, that God works in Christians to will and to do of his good pleasure. That is with reference to you working out your own salvation with fear and trembling. The point, dear Christian, is that God the Holy Spirit is working in you in order that you might bring forth the good fruits of salvation. But that does not mean that you simply sit back with your feet up as God conforms you to the image of Christ. Far from it. If you were not a Christian, there would be no salvation for you to work out. And it is precisely because you have been saved by the grace of God and you are now a new creature in Christ that presumably you have a God-given desire to add to your God-given faith the virtues that are listed in verses 5 through to 7. And presumably you give diligence to add them. In other words, there is a striving on your part. Putting it negatively, as I sometimes do for emphasis, if adding anything to your faith does not figure on your list of priorities, I would, at the very least, entertain serious doubts about your profession of faith. I say that because as we progress through this epistle, we shall see warnings about false teachers infiltrating the churches. This is something that we see in our day and age, don't we? False teachers, and by extension, counterfeit Christians, who have no interest in diligently adding any of the virtues that we have been considering to their non-existent faith. Dear Christian, without God's enabling grace, you can do absolutely nothing, but with it, may the genuineness of your God-given faith in the Lord Jesus Christ be evident in your diligence or your care to add to your faith virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness and charity. And to God be the glory. Amen.